Hey everyone, welcome to the Cadence Church Podcast. Our passion is to help you become who God has created you to be. If you'd like to learn more or support this ministry financially, you can visit us at cadence.church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you. So let's go ahead and jump into the message. I'm, uh, I'm excited to share the message that I have with you today from um, Isaiah 9. And if you have a Bible, you can open that. If you've got your notes that you can grab on the, on the way in from the lobby, you can do that as well. But first, before we dive into that, I do just want to take a moment and I want to say, um, you may not know this, while you were out at Texas Roadhouse on Friday, the worship team and the production team was rehearsing Friday evening until about 9 p.m. So can we just thank the worship and production team for what they've done. They got here at 6.30 this morning. They've been practicing, praying, um, stressing everything, what clothes to wear, all of that kind of stuff. uh, You know, all of you did that as well, but they did it in Jesus' name too. So not that you didn't, all right. All right, today we're going to be in Isaiah 9, one of the most famous scriptures in the Bible as it relates to the birth of Christ. And, um, I'm excited to teach on this one. We're going to read Isaiah 9, verse 6, and then we're going to go through the rest of Isaiah verse nine, or 6 through 9. But what I'm going to do this morning is I'm just going to tell you a few things. Three, I have three points like always, and it's going to be strictly out of Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 9, and you can follow along with us. But for, uh, verse 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. How good is that right there? And in in today's world, the idea that that the government sits on his shoulders, that when it goes this way or goes that way, when there's manipulation or there's selfishness, God is still in control. God is still ruling and reigning. And despite everything that 2023 held and despite everything that 2024 holds for us, God is still on the throne. Is anyone grateful that God's still on the throne this morning? And so I love this language. This whole message came from this idea that, that two sides of this, and I'm going to point to this later, but it says that a child was born, so the humanity of God, but it also says that a son was given the divinity of God. So the humanity of God says, I know your pain, but the divinity of God, the Father, to give the gift of his son says, I offer you peace. I offer you a way out. So the humanity of God says, I know what you've been through. I've experienced it. Jesus lived on the earth for 33 years. 30 of those years were practically silent. What was he doing? He was feeling the humanity that we would experience. Why? Because God was giving his son divinity. He was giving us a way out. So he says, I know your pain, but I've got a solution. And so on this Christmas uh, message, I just, uh, I want to preach on this idea of the, the gifts that we receive in Jesus. And before I do that, um, I know that many of us receive gifts in different ways. And as we go into the holidays, um, I'm just going to share with you a few that I've experienced in my life. So when I was growing up, my mom can correct me. I think this is how we opened presents. Um, well, let me, let me tell you first how my wife opened presents, okay? When I married Hannah, I, I, they invited me over to Christmas and we start opening all these presents and I'm like, I, I grab my presents. I'm just like, ready. This are my, they say my name and I'm going to start opening. You open yours, you open yours. It's just mass chaos for about five seconds. We all open our presents. And they said, no, there's an order to this. You pass. It's, it's Hannah's turn. 
It's Paul's turn. I'm like, this does not make sense. My gifts are before me. Let me open these presents. And so my family is just rip it. You just go for it, open all of them. And, you know, and that, by the time, by the, it's like eating Thanksgiving. You spend hours making it and you're done in five minutes. And that's kind of how it was for us. Now our kids, it's kind of passed on in a different way. My son, five-year-old Knox, I double-checked with him if it was okay if I shared this with you. I don't even know if mom knows this yet. But this uh, last week was my son's sixth sixth birthday. Uh, if you want to congratulate him, he turned six. The big deal is that he's lived this many days. He's seen this many days in our household because of because of this. So he he got presents this week for his birthday, and Hannah is wrapping presents in the living room, and he is in our bedroom. He he was sick, and so he was in our bedroom, uh, and. We're like, you got to stay in there. You got to hide. What this little sneak, this little sneaky kid was doing was looking under the crack of the bedroom door, watching mom wrap all of his presents. He comes out, acts like he doesn't know anything. And then he, the next day he's like, oh yeah, I was looking under the crack the whole time. I'm like, so you didn't, you already knew what you were getting. And so I say that because um, I'm kind of excited to see what he grows up into. But he's kind of spoiled. Now now I know his ways. I know his tricks. And so I come back to this idea that, that the humanity of God was a child was born. The divinity of God is that God gave his, his son, gave his one and only son to save humanity. And so this morning I want to study this idea that there are infinite ways in which God has blessed us through the gift of Jesus. But I want to give you three that are specifically shown in this text. The first one comes from this. In Isaiah 9, as he continues, and he says this, it says, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. And take away all of your preconceived notions about a counselor. This is God being a wonderful counselor. And the first thing he offers us is the gift of healing in our lives, is he offers us the gift of healing. And so Isaiah, you may not know this, uh, Isaiah was uh, one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. There were minor major prophets, and Isaiah was unique in that during the time of Isaiah's prophetic ministry, Isaiah lived in the time where Jerusalem would fall ultimately to Babylon. So Assyria was a power that dishonored God, that did not honor and serve God. They would rule and reign in mighty and horrific ways. Israel would live and survive through this time and this tyranny in many ways, but they would also have to deal with them at the same time. Then Babylon would come to power and destroy Assyria and then subjugate Israel. And here's what's interesting is when you look at Isaiah, this is the only prophet in the Old Testament or anywhere in the Bible that you open this and you see the span of Isaiah's ministry is this book. This is Isaiah, and you see when you read from chapters 1 all the way through 39, you see him talking about what it was like before the exile. And then you see him talk and discuss what it was like during the exile. And then after 56, or verse or chapter 56 through 66, he begins to talk about what it was like after the exile. And so if anyone's going to minister to us in a time where we're in a storm or in trials or tribulation, let the prophet speak to us this morning who, who knows, he says this, he says to the people of God, he says, I know why you're going through what you're going through. I know what you're going through. 
I know how you're going to get through what you're going through. And ultimately, I know the promise on the other side of you getting through what you're going through. And so to us, the beauty of this is that God offers us healing. The gift of Jesus brings us healing, but it comes at a cost. And the cost is this, is that God has to, are you ready for this? God has to be honest with us. Are you okay with God being honest with you? Isaiah, Isaiah 1 sets up all of Isaiah, and this is, a, this is the longest text we're going to read, but I want you to feel this. He says this, Isaiah 1, verses 2 through 6. This is the banner over all of Isaiah. Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children, I brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manager, but Israel does not know me. My people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people who, here it is, guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel. They have turned their backs on him. Now, this is the honesty of God. In a world that sugarcoats everything, this is the honesty of God. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why should you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. Don't you love the honesty of God? He says this, he says, when many will come to us and we're in a time, a trial, a season of pain, They'll say, oh no, I know your marriage is going through a rough time, but it's just her fault. It's just his fault. I know that you're not getting promoted at work. It's just your boss's fault. It's your coworker's fault. But God steps into our life and he gives us the honest truth. And he says, yes, there are situations surrounding us, but God brings the gift of healing through Jesus being the wonderful counselor who speaks. If you let him directly into the guilt, the pain, the sin, the hurt in our lives, if you'll let him be honest. And then he says this in Isaiah 1:18. He says this famous verse that most of us would know by now. He says, come now, there's a way out. Let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. So he says, this is the honest truth that though your sins are like scarlet. And get this picture, for, for a fabric to become red, and crimson like scarlet, it had to be dipped in there a while. It had to be sitting in the thing that was tainting it and contaminating it, changing the very fabric, the very nature of its fabric. And God is saying this to all of us is how long have you been sitting in that pain? How long have you been soaking in that addiction? How long has this legacy been passed down to you from previous generations that your life is just like crimson, like scarlet. And here's the thing. See, you feel the weight of it. God has to be honest. See, the world wants to medicate our problems. I'm not against medicine. That's not my point. I like medicine. The world wants to medicate our problems. God has come to eradicate our problems. The world wants to medicate it, wants to numb it. God wants to eradicate it. And so God is offering the ability, if you'll let him be honest, to speak into your life. And I know that can be hard for us. The first gift that God gives us is the gift of healing. Number two, as Isaiah continues, he says this, he calls 
He calls Jesus the gift, the one to come. He says, mighty God, everlasting Father, speaking of the Trinity, of the nature of God. And so here's what he gives. You ready for this? And he gives us the gift of family. He gives us the gift of family. And I know very well that many of us in this room just heard that as a death sentence. The ones not laughing are the ones that know. Because if, if God invites me into a family and this is what my family's been like, I don't want that gift. You can have that gift back. I know what family's like. I know what family can do to you. But others of us who have been raised in godly or great homes, we get the ability to say, God is inviting me into a family. And you have to see that this has been the pattern that God has always passed down is that at first they built a temple but then it grew into the spiritual house, the spiritual family of God. See how Galatians 6.10 calls us. He identifies us by this. He says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong, what's it say? To the family of believers. So God is inviting us now into this, under the banner of everlasting father, he's inviting us into the gift of family. He's inviting us into this. And then watch how Psalm 68.6, every one of us that would say, I have no family, my family has abandoned me. I can't get by. I'm not married yet. This is a hard season for me because there's no one to depend on in this Christmas season. Look at this amazing promise, 68 verse 6. God sets the lonely in families. What a promise today that he gives us the gift of family. If you're lonely, if you're beaten down, if you're isolated, if you've been abandoned or neglected, God takes you when you become a part of his spiritual family and he sets you in the family of God. And I want to spend a moment on this because I want you to, I want you to know you have to, every gift, you know this, you have to receive the gift, okay? And I want to j- just make you aware, do you want to receive this gift to be in the family of God? Because what a family is, you know this, a family tells you what you're capable of. If you come from a certain family, oh, they're from that family, that's their last name. Oh, that's what they're capable of. That's what's, that's what's in their bank account. That's the history of this family. That's what they're capable of. So I want you to see what you would be stepping into if you decide to receive the gift of this family. So Jesus has, I don't know if you know this, Jesus has his own, his own 23andMe, okay? His own 23andMe. He sent in the, the DNA test. He just had to make sure that he was from Mary. Anyways, okay. So Matthew 1 records this. I'm not going to read the scripture, but I want you to see this list of family members that it says, so it goes through the 14 generations um, all the way until David and the 14 generations after that until it gets to Jesus. And it lists out all of these great, amazing men and women of God, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. They have uh, Salmon, whose brothers with tilapia, Solomon, David, Jesse. Thanks. I hate tilapia, by the way. But you look at all of these. This is the family of God. Get this. When you step into a relationship with Jesus, you get the privileges to step into this family. You get the benefits. You, get, you become a benefactor of all that this family has blessed pre- generations through. And you get to be a part of Abraham. You get to be a part of Jacob. But now let me, know, let me uh, make you aware of this. There's a challenge that comes with being a part of this family is that you have a lot to live up to. Think about just these six people. Let me just identify these six. Abraham. Abraham left everything. Everything. Left his home, left his country, left his business, 
to follow God in faith. That's some greatness to live up to. Jacob, Jacob fathered the 12 tribes of Israel. He built a legacy that the world has never seen. That's a lot to live up to. Tamar, she, fathered, or she, she mothered the family that would go down to Hezron and Ram, and she mothered this. She became a mother, a matriarch in the family of God. And you got Rahab. Rahab, if you know the story, Rahab risked her own life to allow the spies into the land so that God's people could inherit the promise. That's something to live up to. David, David, of course, great King David, a man after God's own heart. Would God say that of you and I? Solomon built the temple of God. It's a lot to live up to. And you may be sitting here and and I just asked you the question, do you have the faith of Abraham to leave everything if God asks you to leave? You have a lot to live up to. I have a lot to live up to. Jacob, do you have the ability to pass on a legacy that the world has never seen before? You have a lot to live up to. Rahab, do you have the ability to risk everything for the sake of Christ? To abandon everything, all of your comfort, your life, do you have the ability to do that? So we may not all have God's greatness or the greatness in common with all of these men and women of God. But let me tell you something. Let me ask you this. Imagine you've got Abraham, you've got Jacob, Rahab, Tamar, all of these men and women, and imagine a chain is just being passed down through the corridors of history. Abraham builds on, and then Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and it gets to Tamar, Rahab, and then you've got David, and then Solomon, and it goes all the way down the line, and there's links in this chain all, all throughout history as God is pulling men and women into heaven, and then all of a sudden it gets to the chain. You're a part of the chain link of this family. And the question is, are you a good chain or are you a bad chain? Are you a strong chain or are you a weak chain? And so before you think, what a discouraging Christmas message, let me give you some good news. We may not yet, by God's grace you can, we may not yet all have in common with these saints greatness, but let me encourage you, we all have in common with them their weakness. So Abraham left everything to follow God. But Abraham doubted God more than anyone ever had up until that point. Jacob built a legacy of the 12 tribes of Jacob. But what did Jacob also do? He lived his whole life as a lie. He lied and he lied and he lied again. And then you get to Tamar. Tamar was abused. She was left for dead. She was neglected. She might have thought God has abandoned me. Rahab dishonored God with her body her entire life. David, a man after God's own heart, David tore apart families through adultery and murder. Solomon built the temple of God. He honored God with building the temple and he dishonored God at the end of his life. So we might not have their greatness yet, but thanks be to God we have their weakness because what does it do? Because of God's Holy Spirit within us, sin will not break us. Our weakness will not disqualify us from the family of God. And some of you need to know this as polished as we look today and we have a photo opportunity, you're going to be able to smile big. I want you to know this. You are more than welcome here no matter what you've done, what you've thought, the past you've had, the family lineage you come from. We're all welcome into the family of God. Thanks be to God. We have a weakness that we can relate to. And finally, he continues in Isaiah. And this is where it all comes to a head. This is where it all comes to the conclusion. Isaiah 9, he says this of 
the one to come. He says this of Jesus the Christ. He says that it's going to be the prince of peace. You could stack up every gift that God offers to us, and I would trade all of them in for the gift of peace. And here's what it said. It says, he will reign on David's throne. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with what? Justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Nothing in our world is forever right now. Everything is so temporary. Just when you think you've made it, you get knocked back down again. Just when you think the world is going the way that you think it should be going, the world goes the opposite way. Just when your kids start to get ahead and they start to follow God or they start to love God, something just knocks you back down. God gives us this promise that he offers a gift of peace on David's throne and of its throne, of its kingdom. It will last forever. There will never be an end. He says he gives you and I the gift of peace. And why is this so important in Isaiah's time? Because in Isaiah's time, as Jerusalem would fall and as Israel would fall and be taken into subjugation under Babylon, this would be the end of kings as we know it. So Isaiah is prophesying that one is to come that will step into King David's throne and of his throne there will be no end. And he proves it, God proves it by not allowing a king like they had previously had throughout the rest of the Old Testament because that seat is empty. That seat is not for the takeover. Because one day King Jesus would come and King Jesus would offer us many infinite benefits. But above all, he would offer us the benefit of peace in our lives. And that he would say that there is war, that there is turmoil, that there is anxiety in our lives. But I promise you, when he comes to take his own and when he comes to set things right, there will be no end to the peace that we will enjoy and the peace that we will live in and that we get the gift of peace. And so like I said in the beginning and as I begin to close is that it says that a child was born and a son is given. So a child is born is that God knows our pain. He knows our humanity. But a son is given that a king gave his son to step down into the world that we broke, that we damaged. And you may say, I'm not to blame, but there are many things we do every week that we don't agree with ourselves for doing. You don't even have to be a Christian to know that's true. None of us are perfect. And God sent his son as a gift to offer a peace offering to every one of us this morning. And so as I close, I just want to close with this this story, and I want to talk to two people in this room this morning. And there's one person in this room that needs to hear this, specifically as it relates to having eternal peace with God. And then there's another group of us who would already say, I have that peace with God. I have received the gift of Christ. But the first one and the second one, they all relate to this story. And I just heard this story recently of uh, King Charlemagne. King Charlemagne in the Middle Ages um, and his, his soldiers what they would do is that one by one, they saw, as story story goes, is that under King Charlemagne, many and many were getting saved and saved and saved. And that it got to the point where King Charlemagne's soldiers would go down to the river to get baptized in masses. And, and they would all go down to the river to get baptized. And what they would do, what these soldiers would do that was interesting, when they would get baptized, it's something we've never seen before. And I don't think we've really seen it after. 
is that what they would do is they would go down into the water and as soldiers, they would go into the water with their sword in hand. And as they went under the water and as the water began to immerse over their body, they would hold their dry, one dry hand with their sword above it saying this, saying, God, you can have everything in my life, but you can't have this. And I think the reason some of us, for the first person in this room, will not accept the message of Jesus is because we're not willing to give over one thing. Faith, trust, belief in God. So what is the one thing that's required to receive this gift? It's very simple. You can't pay for it. You can't earn it. It's one thing. It's the ability to surrender everything to God. And I say that not just to the person that doesn't believe. I say it to the Christian. What is the thing that you may have been baptized into Christ, but you're still holding on to? God can't have this. You can, you can baptize me, you can cleanse me, but you can't touch this. You can't have this. I'm still going to worry about this. I'm still going to stress about this. I'm not going to trust you with this, but everything else you can have in my life. What's the one thing you need to hand back over to God? And so God in his infinite grace hands us the gift of Jesus to save us and give us three gifts this Christmas evening. The gift of healing, the gift of family, and the gift of peace. And I actually want to take a moment right now. Romans 10 says this. Romans 10, 9 says, this is for everyone in this room that does not believe yet in Jesus. It gives you this promise. It says that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is your Lord, that he has been risen from the dead by God the Father, amazing promise. You can have peace with God this morning. And it's very simple. All you have to do is make the decision, I'm going to surrender my life to my Lord. I'm going all in. I'm not going to be perfect. Thanks be to God that he died for my past sins, my present sins, and my future sins. All of us Christians know this very well. But when I get out of that water, he is my Lord, he is my King, and I will follow him. And so what I want to do is for some of you right now, you feel this in your heart that I don't have peace with God. And that's why I have peace with no man. It's because I have no peace with my maker. And so I'd like to invite everyone, everyone in this room, just to be still. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? 